scripture lesson for today is Genesis 28, 10 through 19. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a leather set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and that the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone he had put under his head, set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. These are our sacred stories. The way was marked. There were large stone markers telling us how many more kilometers to Santiago. There were crude yellow arrows spray painted on the side of barns and bus stops. There were beautiful tiles on the sides of houses with a shell and an arrow. And in many of the paths, there were shells mixed in among the stones. The way was marked. There were many, many stones. And still there were times when we didn't know exactly where we were or where to go. More than once when faced with the choice of a path, I suggested that the path that was going up was likely correct. It was. The way was marked and stones and rocks were not simply way markers. They were under our feet. Loose gravel, stone walkways worn smooth by so many pilgrims. Creek beds with water trickling around the rocks as our feet tried to find purchase on pebbles and stones. In her collection of essays entitled Teaching a Stone to Talk, Annie Dillard writes of her neighbor, a man named Larry, who lives alone except for the stone he's teaching to talk. Larry is serious about this. The stone in question is a beach cobble oval-shaped, dark gray, with a white band encircling it, sized so that it can fit nicely into the palm of a hand. Apparently, this stone is typical of cobbles that can be found all over the beaches of Puget Sound, which is where Annie lived during the time that Larry and she were neighbors. 
Larry keeps his rock on a shelf under a swatch of leather. The leather functions like the cloth that you put over a birdcage when you want your parakeet to go to sleep. Several times a day, Larry removes the leather and tries teaching his stone to express itself. No one knows what Larry is teaching it to say, what methods he's employing, or whether he's experiencing success. They do know that he has made plans to initiate his son into the task, thus ensuring the work will go on after Larry is gone. Dillard is clear. It's not that Larry is possessed of madness. It's just that there is an obsession he has that someday the smooth, palm-sized oval beach cobble will speak. And so he waits and listens and patiently prepares for that day when the stone will make a sound. He waits, even though what he's waiting for is uncertain, unforeseeable. Uncertain, unforeseeable. There was no sign other than the setting sun telling Jacob where to stay for the night. The new revised standard version that Karen read this morning says, he came to a certain place. But the Hebrew verb here is strike. Jacob strikes upon no particular place, a place selected because the sun is setting, a place he literally hits upon. In my imagination, he stubs his toe on the rock that becomes his pillow and then the altar. Stubbing his toe, you see, seems in keeping with the day that he's been having, fleeing for his life, running from his brother Esau's murderous rage after Jacob has stolen not only Esau's birthright, but also his blessing. Jacob is fleeing from home. Jacob is vulnerable. He is isolated. He's trying to stay alive. He's alone. The light is fading. Jacob stops, tends his poor bruised toe, and falls asleep, resting his head on that dumb rock. And there, in this place that is of no obvious import, Jacob has a dream. His vision fills with a ladder that reaches to heaven with messengers of God going up and down it a divine courier system. This stairway does not give Jacob access to heaven. Rather, God comes down and speaks to Jacob where Jacob is. God is present, not far away. God is not removed, not in the heavens. No, God is right next to Jacob. In the silence and the darkness, when Jacob finally stops, when he rests from his anxious fleeing. Into the rest, God comes. And the Lord stood beside Jacob and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. 
for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God reiterates the promises that God made to Jacob's ancestors, to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. Now God offers to be the God of Jacob also. But parts of this promise are even older than Jacob's grandparents. The Hebrew says, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I'm with you, and will keep you, and will bring you back to this dust, back to the dirt, not back to the land, back to the dirt. You and your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be blessed, and I will keep you, and I will bring you back to this dirt. The Hebrew word for dust, for dirt, is Adama. Adama like Adam. Adam is the name of the dirt creature that God makes in one of the stories of the beginnings in our sacred stories. Adam from Adama. Dirt creature from dirt. And then you'll remember that God promises that dirt creature, promises Adam, from dirt you have come, and to dirt you will return. We recite this promise every Ash Wednesday. Genesis 3:19. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you will return. Here in this place, Jacob is included in the covenant made with his parents and grandparents, a covenant he arguably doesn't deserve, a covenant that perhaps more specifically should have gone to his older brother, along with the birthright and the blessing. But before Jacob can rejoice in adding yet another blessing he has taken from Esau, before his vision ends with only delight, these words, these words of God, I will bring you back to the dust. They must catch him. They must remember the stories. You are dust, and to dust you will return. God has been reassuring. God will be with Jacob. God will keep God's covenant, and even so, Jacob is afraid when he wakes up. The scripture says, then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And Jacob was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? How awesome? The word translated here as awesome could just as easily be translated as dreadful or fearsome. How fearsome is this place? Was it the reminder of his mortality that makes him fearful? The promise of dust? If Jacob wanted a sign that his manipulation of his father and brother, that his deception and scheming was all going to turn out just fine, he got it. And then some. Yes, Jacob, for centuries now, we will talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you know what? You're a dust creature. Yes, you're included in the blessing, and part of that blessing is knowing that you are earthy. This 
is the sign. You are humble as mud. And Jacob seems to know it. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as an altar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, house of God. This place, this place where Jacob perhaps stubbed his toe, this place where he stopped because he ran out of daylight, this place is the house of God. And God promises, know that I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this dust and I won't leave you. This is the promise, the covenant. Yes, we are dust and we are not alone. God is with us always. This is what marks the way, this earthiness that's infused with the divine. It's my prayer that this truth fills us not with fear, but with comfort. We are not alone. We are part of the good work in the world. The rock Jacob slept on is just a rock like any other ordinary object thrumming with divine experience. And Jacob notices and makes an altar. He makes of what is for him no particular place, a house of God. He is reminded that he has this one life, this one life that from dust he has come and to dust he will return this one life and it's his life there's nothing like a long walk to help us see what we need to be that we need to be where our feet are we need to be here and now we need to know this moment and this place are holy all places are holy, holy because the divine is here and there and everywhere. The place Jacob is already has a name. The passage tells us he called the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. It makes me wonder if Jacob is giving his experience a name more than the place. Jacob experienced the house of God, God's presence, God's indwelling. Jacob experiences divine presence and Jacob is transformed and the place is transformed and the stone is transformed. The ordinary becomes extraordinary, holy through divine presence. God's presence breaks into fear and terror and loneliness. Jacob's dream of God's connection to the world has a transformative effect on the waking world. 
and this pattern is repeated with other dreams and visions throughout our sacred stories as God again and again shows up and is present not to royalty or priests, but to terrified refugees, to children, to those fleeing, to those facing uncertain times. God is present. We are all in Bethel, the house of God. This beautiful sanctuary on Caroline Street is certainly a house of God, but so is each place where we lay our heads. We are all surrounded by the divine. God is here. Here where I am and there where you are. Yes, we are all dust creatures. This living is earthy business. We will one day return to dust. And while we're here, while we're living, the signs of God's presence are everywhere. We have only to stop and look, stop and rest and experience. In her book, An Altar in the World, A Geography of Faith, Barbara Brown Taylor writes, Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. Divine mystery is here. Take a deep breath. Stare into space. Say a prayer. Listen. Listen some more. Paint. Walk barefoot. Dance. God promises Jacob that God will be with him. A promise that grows in significance given the fact that Jacob is alone, fleeing for his life, entering an unknown future and an unknown landscape. Jacob builds an altar. Stone markers were everywhere. Rocks were all around us. And yet somehow the altars, the liminal spaces where God was clearly right next to us were not so well marked. I don't know if Larry or his son were ever able to teach that stone to talk, but I know I've heard rocks cry out. I know I, like Jacob, have experienced surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. You have to. We're creatures of dust. Impermanence marks our days. But there are altars all around us. Altars that remind us that the rocks have been here and will be here. Reminders that we are part of something bigger and longer lasting. Divine mystery shows up in unexpected ways and in unexpected times. Can we rest long enough to notice? Can we, like Larry, take the time to listen to the rocks? Can we notice the altars 
surrounding us so much so that we risk cracking our shins and stubbing our toes. I pray that we will. Amen.